Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest is, uh, has written a history of Walt Whitman and his brothers in the Civil War. It's called Now the Drum of War, and it's a biography of, of Walt Whitman as much as of his time and the people that he knew and his mm-hmm. family. Robert Roper has also written uh, novels and other historical accounts. Will you please welcome him to West Coast Live. He lives in Maryland where he teaches at Johns Hopkins University and in California. Thank you, uh, thank you very much for stopping by. Uh, my pleasure, sir. Or coming up to the valley. My pleasure. Have you ever been to the Napa Valley under other circumstances? Uh, yes, uh, it's, I, I remember it in a fog. <laughs> a literal fog or a, 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 a vinous fog? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. the word I was looking for, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you, you say in your acknowledgments that you came to the Civil War uh, sort of later than, than some historians and some writers. You've written many other kinds of, of, of books. And, and uh, what drew you to not only the Civil War but the story of Walt Whitman and his brothers? Um, about 20 years ago, somebody sent me a postcard um, of Walt Whitman, a picture of him, but it wasn't that famous image of him, uh, the old white-haired guy with butterflies in his beard. Uh, it was uh, a picture of a very handsome young man, very ardent, kind of looking out of this postcard right into you. It was, it was really fascinating, and uh, I knew a little bit about uh, photography in that era, People had to sit very still for daguerreotypes. Um, and uh, I mean, if anybody's seen old uh, 19th century photographs, about the only thing that looks alive is the dog in them. Uh, the people are utterly frozen, but this picture of Walt was. Some had head braces, I think. That they, they would, you would have to sit, put their head in a head brace and say. Yeah. Right, and that you know, was conducive to looking even more frozen. Right. But anyway, it, it kind of fascinated me. And then uh, a few years after that, I stuck it up on the wall of my cottage, and uh, a few years after that, I, I heard that he had done this uh, unusual thing in the Civil War. He had been a nurse, and uh, I thought, well, that's kind of very poetic. Uh, he probably went down there gallivanting on the occasional Sunday afternoon, but no, he nursed for years, uh, as I figured out, uh, roughly 40 to 50 hours a week on top of his job as a government clerk, um, and he did it for years and years. Uh, the other, he wrote a great memoir of nursing, Memoranda During the War. The other great memoir is uh, called Hospital Sketches. It was written by Louisa May Alcott, Little Women Fame. And Louisa's wonderful book, um, I don't want to take anything from it, was based on three weeks of nursing, whereas Waltz was roughly seven or eight years of uh, nursing during and after the war. So I was kind of moved by that, and then I wanted to find out about it. Uh, this was, uh, I mean, the Louisa May Alcott uh, circle and Walt Whitman and Ralph Waldo Emerson, then a young up-and-coming poet. I mean, it was this was kind of the circle of people at the time, too. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was very much aware of, them, of, of each other. I mean, it was not a, a huge swarm of writers as we have now in America. Um, Walt, in fact, a very cagey self-promoter. He wrote the first edition of Leaves of Grass in 1855, and very smartly sent a copy to Emerson, the, the great panjundrum of American letters. Uh, and uh, Emerson, to his great eternal credit, read it, 
um, and wrote, immediately wrote him back and said, I greet you at the beginning of a great career. Um, it, this is an extraordinary work of genius. Um, he was right about that. And, that's, uh, that's a very nice blurb to put on your book. <laughs> it's, it's a very nice blurb, and Walt immediately printed those words on the spine of the next edition of Leaves of Grass. Uh, Emerson's nose is a little out of joint about that, but uh, um, we have right there Americans. Was that the beginning of the blurb? <laughs> it, was, it was a very high point of its development. Yeah. 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 Uh, but one of, the, one of the aspects that you bring out about Walt Whitman uh, in, in the course of describing his sexuality is, is that uh, nursing provided a way for him to, to gaze upon handsome young men uh, who were kind of immobile. That's right. That's right. And um, the, the, um, the, the story about Walt and his Walt, what we now call a homosexual, that term had not been invented uh, in the 1860s. Um, the the um, sort of the general opinion about Walt in, in the hospitals is that, uh, well, yes, he was a very handsome and charismatic and seductive man, but he found a higher calling uh, during the Civil War. He sublimated uh, those you know, nasty bodily urges and went and took care of these poor boys. And uh, he certainly did take care of those poor boys in an extraordinary way. It's one of, it's maybe the great American compassionate gesture. But I found in my research is that he, uh, that didn't take care of all his, of his urges. He, uh, he had a very, very active romantic life while he was this angel of mercy in the hospitals. And what role did his brothers play in this? Yeah, well, that was... Uh, very intriguing me to learn that Walt, this nurturing mother man, as one of his friends described him, uh, had this younger brother, George Washington Whitman, who was a very ardent soldier. I mean, an incredible, indomitable soldier who uh, became uh, intensely calm when he found himself in combat. And he, uh, he, uh, he was in the thick of things in 21 major battles. I mean, it's almost an unequaled uh, uh, military record. Um, and uh, right, in, right in the worst passages of combat of the Civil War, he was at uh, Burnside's Bridge, Antietam, if anybody knows about that, an incredible uh, situation that he was at, at before Mary's Heights in Fredericksburg, a terrible early slaughter. He was, uh, he was the kind of guy who became very, very calm under fire, and men wanted to be led by him. This was a uh, and and what did you, what similarities did you see between the the brothers? Well, there were there were remarkable physical similarities. They were both big, handsome guys with spooky gray blue eyes. Um, other than where that, did the word spooky come from? <laughs> I, wh where did I get it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, was this your sort of sense of it, or uh, I've gazed into those eyes. And uh, Whitman was probably the most photographed poet of the 19th century, and uh, so there are a lot of images of him. And then there are a few images of of George, and and there's something that's very you know uh, kind of uh, mesmerizing about about their gaze. And also, uh, um, people wrote about. Uh, some, you know, that, something that was mesmerizing about them. Um, so, so there was a physical similarity, but uh, um, uh, there was also, I mean, George has been put down in, in the literature as the dullard brother. But in fact, I found and read all of his letters, dozens, scores and scores of letters, brilliant letters from, from the battles. And he would write to Walt almost immediately after the battle or to their mother in Brooklyn, and he would say, uh, um, 
wall. We were in a little dust up yesterday. I don't know what they're going to call it, but it was by a place called Antietam Creek. And then would follow five pages of incredibly detailed, vivid description of exactly what it was and exactly what had happened. And um, Walt would often turn right around and write an article for the New York Times about Antietam, say, uh, in which he uh, liberally uh, quoted and relied upon his brother. It's who provided a lot of the material for the pieces. Uh, I, curiously, I, I just uh, saw the film Glory for the, for the first time a, a couple of weeks ago. And it opens with uh, cleaning up the the carcasses after the Battle of Antietam, and you realize what a brutal uh, a brutal war the the Civil War. Our wars are brutal, but this in particular, I mean, the way that soldiers would march toward one another, in fire on one another in point blank range. Yeah, uh, incredible, incredible slaughter. I mean, uh, the. Uh the story about the Civil War is that what we all sort of uh, agree is that it was tragic because brother killed brother. But in fact, it was tragic because brother killed brother for so long and so well. American soldiers are ardent soldiers and, and skillful. And uh, the uh, uh, 620,000 died in the war. Um, soldiers died. 620,000. Right. And then in, in terms of our contemporary population, that's about 6 million dead. So it was an incredible shock uh, to the national spirit, not to mention what it was to the families who lost sons. Um, Walt's nursing of the soldiers turned into a nursing of the nation. Um, he, uh, he wanted desperately to make sense of the slaughter. He hated it. He hated the war. I mean, he, he wrote letters mainly to his mother, whom he could tell anything, uh, saying, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm up to here in butcher sites. I've, uh, I just can't stand it, mother. I, I, I can't stand it. And then he would go to the hospital the next day. But uh, he, uh, he tried to, he, without ever saying, he never wrote letters home to parents saying, I was with your son who died yesterday. Don't, don't feel bad because he died in a great cause. He would never let himself do that because he wasn't so sure about, about that. He wanted the Union to win, but nothing really justified that slaughter. Partway through your story, uh, Lincoln dies. How did this affect Walt Whitman? Well, Walt had a, a very uh, profound connection to Lincoln. Uh, as far as anybody knows, they never spoke but Washington during the war, it was a little town. It was really, you know, not much bigger than Napa, Napa city size. And uh, so Walt saw Lincoln on the streets almost every day. I mean, in the warm months, uh, Lincoln liked to sleep out of the White House at a place called the Soldier's Home. And he would get in his carriage or get on horseback. Uh, Walt would describe him, he, uh, you know, the president looks really kind of rusty and dusty, wears a kind of a funky old black hat. Um, his face is terribly seamed, but they would nod to each other. Um, and uh, uh, Walt, uh, just by reading his demeanor, came to really, really love him. And it turns out that Lincoln was a very close and ardent reader of Leaves of Grass, which had, the first edition came out in 1855, and it was immediately denounced as a terribly evil and dirty book. And uh, Lincoln somehow got his hands on it and loved it. Recommended it to people, had it on his in his in his quarters. People saw it, uh, so he. Well, knew by all accounts, Lincoln was very worldly. Had a great sense of humor, a profound sense of humanity, and. Yeah, 
Yeah, and we know that, but but still it was going a little far. I mean, this is a, a provincial politician, speaking of Lincoln in, in, uh, in Illinois, uh, you know, which had, uh, uh, evangelical religion was very strong there, but he, re he, he loved that poetry, and that poetry, if anybody is curious about uh, Whitman, I advise you to get your hands on, uh, you know, you can get for a couple of bucks a nice little uh, paperback of the 1855 edition of Leaves of Grass. Um, don't read the deathbed edition, which is what all us students read in high school and college. That, that's, that's the one that came out in 1892 when Walt was literally on his deathbed. And he had been battlerizing and censoring his own hot early poetry his whole lifetime. So get the thing he wrote when he was a young man. And that, that's what Lincoln read. Um, and, and, that, uh, and that's also what was considered a very, very disturbing and frank book. Uh, there is a way that people wrote in the 19th century. Uh, you, the, here's a piece of literary criticism. Uh, it resembles excellent mutton broth made by boiling without condiment the shadow of a sheep's trotter. I, <laughs> I mean, there is a way of, uh, there was a, a gift for metaphor and simile that was uh, different from ours. There really, there really was, yeah. Uh, immersing myself in, 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 in Walt's writing and writing about Walt and the other folks of that era, it's, uh, you see what, what, what's gone and what's changed. Uh, 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 the guy who wrote that, William O'Connor, was a, um, he was a brilliant rhetorician, a, a brilliant uh, um, pamphletist and um, he read Walt's early poetry and just he loved it and he became a lifelong partisan of Walt. Uh, he wrote a very influential book, The Good Gray Poet, um, which talked about Walt's work in the Civil War um, and uh, so they're, they're very close but, but uh, um, O'Connor had a particular gift for, uh, for, for metaphor. What did, what did Walt Whitman mean by the institution of the father was a failure? Um, Mothers were loving, affectionate, indulgent, in many cases undue severity from fathers had driven the boys to enlist in the army when not of age. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's what he meant in that he, he meant something larger too. Uh, he thought that he had an incredible connection with his mother. He, uh, she was his principal correspondent. I remember this is like the most influential American poet. His principal correspondent until she died at an advanced age was, was his mother. And uh, he, uh, what he knew from this unlettered mother who, was, who many biographers call illiterate. Actually, I've read all her letters. She's incredibly literate. She, she had a great literary gift, too. Um, what he where, where, where do biographers make that juncture where they say, you know, they take up a popular convention that the mother was illiterate when, in fact, there are letters that prove, in fact, she could write. Well, um, I think uh, earlier generations of biographers felt that there was something a little embarrassing about Mrs. Whitman. If we were going to say that Walt Whitman was a great, a world-bestriding poet, he should have an elegant, learned, dignified mother. Uh, in fact, Mrs. Whitman came from rank poverty, and she, was, uh, she had educated herself pretty much, and uh, um, she was not the angel in the home, the mid-Victorian model of a woman. She was something much more profound. She was direct, she was honest, she was very, very compassionate, but she had a wicked sense of humor. Um, and uh, Walt felt that when he wrote her these letters from the hospital, they're, they're 
terribly graphic. And George, writing from the battlefields, wrote the same kind of stuff to his mother. I mean, Walt could describe to his mother seeing a, a pile of severed limbs in front of a field hospital. And George could talk about what it felt like to, to slaughter the enemy, to, to kill people. He could, and you know, that's, that's a different model of a woman. And I think uh, for earlier generations of biographers, that's been a little embarrassing. Mm. Um, you know, the photos of her, she looks like a very humble woman. Uh, in fact, she looks like she needs some dentures. Um, but it's funny, everybody who actually met her, um, contemporaries wrote, they said, Walt Whitman's very handsome, interesting mother with a great spirit about her. Clearly, she had some charisma. Um, so I, I don't know, how, how, how do you know, conventions get passed on? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, somebody writes a biography of Robert Roper. Where do they place this book in your arc of the various kinds of books that you've written? Well, uh, thank you, Seth, for even implying that that might ever happen. But uh, um, I would say that... We'll say Wikipedia, then. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's, 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 uh, that's more accurate. Uh, um, well, this is when I uh, go back to my original major. See, I was a history major, and, uh, and then I had uh, you know, a few lost years, about 30, of writing novels. Uh, but uh, the, this Whitman story uh, interested me, and I, I, I live back east now, um, and uh, I was close to the National Archives, so you know, I stumbled over the National Archives uh, a few times and became fascinated by what was there, and uh, so I did a real big, fat research paper. What... Uh, when did when how were you able to pull yourself away from the research to do the work of writing because research can be so compelling and as you keep turning pages and investigating and following connections it 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 can keep you from sitting down and writing out your own ideas yeah yeah that that's a good question. Well, uh, my case is very simple. I, I, I teach at Johns Hopkins, but just sort of part-time. Uh, I've been a self-supporting writer for a long, long time. So uh, um, I'm not the kind of person who can get lost in a research project. I have to earn, you know, I've got an advance and I've got to produce that book. So, uh, but it was, uh, I basically sat down for a year and read and learned what the Civil War was. Uh, I was remarkably ignorant about it. And, uh, uh, but then at a certain point, uh, one day I found myself going to the computer and I wrote a sentence. Um, I, I, I mean, the writing of my books is what's really great fun for me, so I'm not reluctant to get to it. Um, was, was the opening sentence of, of the book the first sentence? The scent of Penny Royal crushed by soldiers' shoes remained intense as a false twilight came? Yes, it was. And a penny royal is? It's a kind of wild mint that uh, grew on the hills above Antietam. This is before a battle that came just before Antietam, uh, South Mountain. Uh, George Whitman was involved in it. It was a very, very fierce nighttime battle. When you travel that landscape now, uh, I, I suppose the, uh, the proximity of these places, the smallness of them must stri strike you. I mean, you know, that... Uh, you know, people would move from Maryland and, to, and Pennsylvania and South Carolina. I mean, there weren't too vast distances in some ways. No, no. Uh, but, uh, you know, in a funny way, what you say is accurate. I was able to trace because of George Whitman's letters. They were so precise. He would say, Mom, we were pinned down in front of a, a kind of a, a sloping hill, and there was a little creek, and there was a bank, a muddy bank, and we sheltered behind it. And if we hadn't had that bank, we would have had our heads blown off. Well, I was able to find the creek uh, because I could walk the 
the Civil War battlefields, and you get an, a sense of the incredible importance of the real micro-locality. But by the same token, um, you know, to move armies against other massed armies is, uh, you know, takes 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 a lot of effort. So uh, the uh, the great range of the Civil War is, is is really the impression I got. George, this one soldier, um, marched as his brother Walt calculated carefully over twenty thousand miles. He was he fought all over the West. He fought all over in the Eastern Theater. I mean, the, how far west did the Civil War go? Uh, well, it went to the Mississippi, and then there, there were also engagements in Texas. Um, but uh, you know what happened in the West was really crucial. The West was also the birth of Grant and Sherman, uh, their style of their marauding style, their take no prisoners, not not literally take no prisoners, but their incredibly ardent style of of battle was developed in the West. Then then Lincoln noticed how brilliant this this drunkard Grant was, and he said that man can fight. And he made him the general in chief, and brought him back to the Eastern Theater to try to defeat this indomitable Robert E. Lee, who everybody else had failed to to beat. And and lastly, I mean, the, the war ends. What does Walt Whitman do with his with his nursing uh, experience? Well, he cont- he kept nursing. Uh, he uh, he didn't move back to New York. Uh, he uh, he had a lover uh, in Washington, a man named Pete Doyle. He was really devoted to, and vice versa. Uh, he was happy there in Washington. He had a sinecure government job, but he kept going to the hospitals. I mean, the war is over, eight, 1865, but the soldiers are still crippled, suffering, and dying. So he continued to visit the hospitals into the 1870s. Um, and uh, in 1873, he had a very bad stroke. He could no longer survive on his own, even with the help of his lovers. So he went and sheltered with his brother George, lived in George's house for a, the next 11 years. A, a remarkable story and a focus of uh, a part of American history. It's called uh, Now the Drum of War, Walt Whitman and His Brothers in the Civil War. Robert Roper, thank you very much. My pleasure, Sad. Thank you. Published by Walker Books. and. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.